right. Welcome to our experience, an ASCP podcast. I'm Chad, the chief executive at ASCP, and I'm joined by my partner in crime, Tom Hansel. Tom, welcome. Thank you, Chad. And today we're going to talk about fear. And we're, we're very excited today because we have a guest and we're going to talk about fear and, and fear from the perspective of an abrupt change in your career or really in your industry. And it started back with acquisitions of long-term care pharmacies in the 80s and 90s. And today it's things like Amazon buying a long-term care pharmacy or Mark Cuban entering you know, the, the world of pharmacy with um, low generic drug prices. And long-term care pharmacies kind of always eyed the end of itself. And these major shifts in healthcare always seems to spell doom for a lot of people in long-term care. So we're going to try to demystify those concerns and talk about how a lot of these things are the result of a mature industry and the result of an industry that's healthy. And these are generally opportunities when things like this happen and go on. So our guest today is Lynn Connor. Lynn, welcome. Lynn is a past president of ASCP, a mover and a shaker in this industry. And I'll let you introduce yourself. Welcome. Well, thank you, Chad. I'm delighted to be here. And I've had a, a fabulous career. I have to thank a lot of ASCP for that. But what you're you're saying is very true. There's There was a lot of fear in my career also with different changes. I started my career as Lynn Williams and practiced that way for many, many years. I've, I've been married to Mike Connor the last, the last 13 years. So that's why the different name. But most ASCP people will know me as Lynn Williams. I was a past president from 1994-95. So it's been a few years, but I was pretty young then anyway. <laughs> there you go. So tell us about the beginning of your career, because that that's a good there's a good story in there about some of this abrupt change and, and fear. Well, when I went to pharmacy school, I needed a job like most people go into pharmacy school. And I went to work as a pharmacy technician, but it was at a very unique pharmacy that did long term care, only long term care, no retail. And that was very unique for the time because that was in in the late 70s. And I really enjoyed it so much that I stayed on as a pharmacist because there was an opportunity once I graduated and really just really loved long-term care and the difference you could make in someone's lives with the medications and with the consulting. I loved both and got to do both. That's awesome. And then in 1981, as a as a baby pharmacist, I like to call it, we got some news one day that the gentleman that owned our pharmacy and owned a, a small chain of nursing homes in Alabama, he decided to sell his company to a large nursing home company based out of California called Beverly Enterprises. Beverly doesn't exist anymore. It went through several renditions itself to Golden Living and then beyond. But we all knew that Beverly didn't have long-term care pharmacies and we assumed we would be closed and I thought my long-term care career was over. I remember we uh, we all really were upset and sad about that, but it turned out it launched my career that Beverly loved what we were doing. They had nursing homes all over the country and in many other spots. They loved the service level that we gave. I believe the financials as well as the service level really got their attention. So they hired our director, Larry Ship, 
to move to California and be part of their corporate office. And along with Ron Kane, they started and launched a chain of long-term care pharmacies. And back in 1981, 82, 83, that was relatively new. And it's only later that toward the end of the 80s that you see more of this, more chains starting to pop up and notice this level of service. And in that, that fear turned into opportunity, I guess is my point. And I got to learn a lot more. They invested in us with education. I didn't learn a lot of business skills in pharmacy school, but they would send us to to different trainings. We got to go launch and open brand new pharmacies in multiple states. I later became a regional operator for them as they grew because then they started buying pharmacies. Each pharmacy was had an individual name at that time, but then we bought a small chain of pharmacies called Rush Pharmacy. So we all changed our name to Rush. And later, a few years later, we bought a chain called Pharmacy Corporation of America, PCA, and we all changed our name to that. And then many years later, I had left for other opportunities, but many years later, they became Pharmerica when Beverly Enterprises decided to cash out and take and sell the whole industry that whole group of long-term care pharmacies that had grown at that point. So it's quite a journey and very exciting to be a part of that growth. And it's great history to hear that. I think when we think of fear, you know, you obviously had multiple episodes where you may have felt like, you know, this is the end. This is the shift. I'm going to end up doing something else or to one of your comments that this is the end of my long-term care career. I'm going to have to go do something else. And it never quite works out. I think the way people initially respond. And my example is coming here to ASCP, I must have been here for maybe a year before Amazon bought PillPack and dealt with sort of immediate kickback from members that, well, this is it. Amazon's getting into long-term care and long-term care is going to cease to look anything like we think it looks like and it's over. And we ended up talking to Lenny Parker, who was a member, who was the father of TJ Parker, who was the innovator and owner of PillPack before it sold to Amazon and got him to speak at one of our meetings as a way to sort of alleviate some of this, like, listen, long-term care pharmacists have always been innovative and have always been out front and business oriented. And I like what Lynn said about service oriented. Just because some big corporation gets into your industry doesn't mean it's a bad thing and doesn't mean it's the end. In a lot of ways, sometimes it's it actually spurs opportunity. And again, it's a sign of healthy. It's a healthy industry. If somebody like Amazon wants to get in our space, wow, we must be doing, our space must be pretty attractive. Yeah, no, certainly. I think one of our biggest challenges in long-term care pharmacy was when CVS acquired Omnicare. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, they have now a backup pharmacy in every city in America. They have an e-kit in every city in America. They can deliver within minutes, you know, and it got to a point where we almost talked ourselves into that, into that fear. And, and that didn't really happen. We really didn't see Omnicare make any kind of major changes that, that really affected our business. But I think fear in general is something that we all deal with at, at different stages in our lives. And it reminds me of that book, Who Moved My Cheese? 
right? Where the cheese has moved already. And, and most people have probably read that book. And that's about my reading level now these days. Who moved my cheese? And so the question was, you know, are we going to, are we going to move with it or are we going to sit there and just, and just him and haul around and, and be upset and, and whatnot. And I think right now our industry is moving again. You know, we moved through COVID and we, we handled COVID, I think, extremely well. We actually became to the forefront of the industry with vaccinations and immunizations. And so you know, we were we were stars of, of, of helping, if you will, of helping the, the, the pandemic in the nursing home sector. And I think we're going to have continue to have more opportunities to keep moving as the industry moves. But Lynn, back to what your experience was. Can you tell me what was the, the fear that you were you were thinking? Yes, I might lose my job, but. As you were starting to reinvent and recreate yourself, were you able to help others along with that with that pathway of trying to get over their fear and their concerns as they continue to grow with you? Well, that's a really good question, Tom, because at the time, as a young pharmacist, when that first acquisition occurred where I was sold, it was very fearful for me because I really loved what I did. I really loved long-term care. I think you have to have a calling for it almost. And it's a unique type of pharmacy. And in today's market, there's so many other things that have branched out that are part of long-term care. Back then, it was a little more simple. It was the providing of the medications and it was the consulting, but we can do that in so many different ways now and in different markets. But we did bond. The whole group bonded because We didn't know what was going to happen. So we all joined in it together. Nobody lost their jobs. In my case, I was in a different state than where my family was. And I was single. And I'd always thought I'd go back to be closer to family. But my father gave me great advice years ago during that time. And he said, if you really love what you do, you're going to do it most of your life. You need to continue and stay there. It's okay. Mm -hmm. We'll, We'll still be close. But I think everybody pretty quickly saw that we were still still taking care of our residents, still growing. And we had some similar, we had new leadership and similar leadership, but having some of the similar leadership that gave us some comfort. And it just took a little bit of time. Sometimes it is just time to wait and see what's going to happen. You don't have to make a decision right away. There are cases where you do because you lose your job for some reason. But in this case, we had a little bit of time to see what was going to happen, what was going to come out of it. Does that answer your question, Tom? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it it's about not just overcoming it yourself, but helping those around you, helping your team and being there, being there for each other. You know, I've always said that my best friends are the ones that I bled in the ditch with, you know, if you yes. will, because when you get through it together, Boy, you're stronger, but you've created a bond that is really unbreakable. And I think that was the first part of relationship building. I think part of the part of the success that anyone can have, they're going to have it if they build close relationships. That's one thing that ASCP did for me. I, I started going to ASCP meetings in the early 80s and would meet like minded people. And when you went through any type of crisis, any type of change, you had networked and you had people in other states that you could call 
and network with about this. How are you handling this? What's going on? Or what do you know about this? Or what do you know about this new person that's come into our company? That's really a great thing. And in part of my career, I ran pharmacies, I opened pharmacies, managed a group of pharmacies. But then later, I just moved on and through networking and relationships that I'd built through the years, I became an independent consultant once again. It was something that was always at my heart. And I would travel the country for one particular company and help them deal with survey problems, other pharmacy problems, and just do some of their basic consulting also. But that was all through building relationships. I want you to go back a little bit because you've had a unique career from the perspective of watching Omnicare. Omnicare obviously is an ever-present, you know, company that really is a a big part of the definition of long-term care. And you were a competitor and you watched the early beginnings of Omnicare as they began to buy up pharmacies and start to, to consolidate the pharmacy industry. And then you've also been around through that whole iteration to the backside, which Tom brought up, which was the CVS acquisition, which I think for the most part, you know, I'd have to believe that CVS feels like they they made a mistake or they didn't do it right. Because I think where they sit now, maybe CVS had this hubris that we can, we're CVS, we're going to buy this and, we're, and we are going to do everything mm-hmm. that Tom talked about. We're going to have all these backup systems and create this super pharmacy and it just didn't work out. They ended up gutting the the really experienced people that they had and losing that. We certainly did. Yeah. Losing that lock on expertise. But talk about your history with that because it, it, it goes all the way back to the beginning. You were always a competitor. What were your feelings about Omnicare? I was always a competitor. And in the states that we operated in that I I would know the other competitors. I would know a lot of the independents that had sold to Omnicare and and good for them. What they had had as an independent, as a competitor, was often a stronger competitor because of the, the relationships they had locally with the customers. And in, in many cases, we're battling for the same customer. And when they were independent, it was harder to win a customer over when we would do our marketing. Now with Omnicare, it became a little more difficult in some ways, in some financial ways, but it was not always that way. In the fact that we, I'm, I'm stepping over stones here. I want to be careful because I have a lot of great friends that work for Omnicare and I really respect them. But in some ways, it made it easier to grab some of their customers away from them because we could be more flexible on our service level. We could make those decisions quickly. And those pharmacies then had, it appeared that they had other pressures where they could not change certain things. They had to, they couldn't add an extra delivery because of the acute care that was needed at the nursing level, but we could things like that. And and it all goes back to, again, it goes back to relationships. It goes back to the service level and the relationship you create with a customer. If we had a, a nurse consultant and a pharmacy consultant that could turn on a dime and get out and help a facility in crisis, that really won their hearts and their business. And in some cases, the Omnicare pharmacy would say, well, I'm sorry, we can't do that. You're going to have to do blah, 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 to take care of this situation. 
how long did it take you to get to that mentality? Because I, I would think as you started to see Omnicare buy up these independent pharmacies that you were familiar with, was there an f- initial fear that, hey, they are, they've got something that we don't. And eventually it led to maybe some motivation around service, but a recognition that service was, was the way to win in that competition. But how long did that take? Or did you feel that way from the beginning? You could have felt that way from the beginning. I didn't feel that way from the beginning because it, again, was an unknown. You didn't yeah. know what was going to happen. But then when we'd see certain changes, our folks in the field that were really close to the customer would say, well, we've got this or we can do this. And they would see that the competitor couldn't do that. And listen, I had a lot of great friends that sold to Omnicare. And if, if Omnicare left them in place and let them make autonomous decisions, then it was it was still hard to compete with them. But if they didn't, if some of those people decided, this is it, I'm going to take my out and I want to spend more time with my family or whatever, and they brought in new people, then that gave us an opening. But it wasn't, it took a little time. I couldn't tell you how much time, but it would be different in each situation. Because again, it's the customer's relationship with those people. They don't want to lose their consultant pharmacists. Right. If they're still going to keep that consultant pharmacist that they saw every month or or could call on the phone and could help get answers, then they're not going to they're not going to lose them. Right. Right. Yeah, I've I've had several experiences running pharmacies and I had a customer, you know, hot as can be and they would say to me I'm not going to leave you because I, I love your consultant pharmacist or I love the account manager. And I said, okay, good enough. Bye. You know, <laughs> you know, I, I got the answer I was looking for is you're not going to leave. But that relationship is, is, is critical. And we've seen that play out, you know, with, with, with national pharmacies. We've seen that play out with changes in the industry. I think service is the key. And so what would you say to a pharmacist? Let's talk about what's going on right now. We're not really in that situation of acquisitions and, and buying up and, and consolidating like we were during the 80s and the 90s, 2000s, if you will. But right now, if you're a long-term care pharmacist, I believe that you have some concerns on controllable, some things that are controllable and some things that are non-controllable. So non-controllable is the fact that you have things like COVID that hit. Our, our occupancy, as you know, we're still not fully recovered. Labor's going up. These are, these are multiple you know, financial challenges. PBMs, well, I'm just going to leave that where, that where that's at, but that's always been a challenge and will continue to be a challenge. But they're tasked on their being able to make revenue. And you see the growth of the seniors, but they're not growing in the nursing centers. They're not growing in the assisted living centers. Yes, we have 10,000 people turning 65 every single day. And so the population is growing, but the nursing home industry really, really is not. If you were unretired, if you will, what would be your comments to those pharmacists and, and what, would be, what would be your your advice to those pharmacies? Well, I think there's more opportunity now to go down different paths. I have friends that work more with senior centers or in doing pharmacy consulting for seniors not in nursing homes. I believe assisted livings as well as just senior communities uh, where for healthy living, it's, it's a different generation. And I'm getting closer to that generation where you want to be healthy. And I think pharmacists play a key role in that. I've seen a lot of my friends uh, branch out and have different 
roles in consulting in those those areas. I'm not the one to tell you how to get there, but but there are people that are doing it, and there's a big need. There's a huge need, and whether it's virtual or whether it's live, I think virtual works beautifully anymore. You don't have to be there. I think remote pharmacy has played a big role. I have a niece who works remotely for a long-term care pharmacy doing all sorts of reviews. She does some in the field too, but a lot of what they have her do is some remote reviews and it's very rewarding her. It gives her a lot more flexibility too. But but beyond the traditional long-term care buildings, there's definitely there's definitely opportunity. And hospice would be one. Home care is one. But I really believe it's more of the senior populations and marketing yourself out there. Yeah, I think, you know, we've talked about fear and, you know, the, this episode is about fear. But fear really links very closely to change. And there's no bigger change. I mean, we're in this industry because of the change in population. We all feel like you know, there's a lot of work to be done with older adults and managing medications, regardless of the setting that they're in. So you have to have that sort of, you have to be able to work through that fear that bad things are going to happen or opportunities are going to dry up because you have to look at it in the context of the constant change. We don't make, we don't quote unquote, make new nursing home beds, but the nursing home beds that we do have are going to continue to be more acute and sophisticated. So there's, there's, there's marginal growth in that because you're, People are beyond more meds and have higher needs. But to your point, the opportunity and to, to Lynn's comment is in these other areas where you're going to have this influx of older adults, hospice, home care. Technology is, is always a fear. Like, my God, AI is coming. What's going to happen with AI? They're going to replace pharmacists with AI. I mean, that's probably the, the number one fear pharmacy has right now. But those are, again, opportunities. How do you leverage AI? How do you use it to make your practice better, to do what you're passionate about, which is caring for that older adult that struggles with all the medications that they're taking? Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot and Tom, of sense. You, hit on a, you hit on a key point about managing costs. The revenues at the nursing home level for those that still work in that market, they're tough. It's hard. Their census is low. Of course, that affects the pharmacy census, too. So how can you help them manage costs? How can you help them through better management of their medications to help manage the costs? And they're going to listen harder than they've ever listened in this area if you can show that you can make a difference. And they may think the only answer is cut a price, cut the price. Well, there's only so much cutting you can do at the drug level anymore. And if you just want to provide drugs at a low-cost value, that's what you can do. And that's what I see some of these newer markets. They're selling that with these these newer pharmacies yeah. and remote pharmacies that have popped up. But but you can be on low-cost low 12 medications when you maybe you only need six medications. Certainly, right. Yeah. One thing that I've seen become more and more popular over the last few years, and I still don't think a lot of long-term care pharmacies are doing it, but it's a, you know, discharge with meds or follow me home, you know, yep. type, you know, type meds, which sounds, sounds kind of creepy, right? Follow me home. But, right. you know, but 
discharging the patient with the medications. In other words, the long-term care pharmacies taking more of an active role post-discharge. And at the end of the day is that it's directly related to helping that nursing home and their star ranking because the number one way to, to really kill their revenue and their, their star ranking is for that patient to go back to the hospital after they've been discharged from the nursing home. And so to your point, Lynn, finding creative ways, that's a win-win. That's a creative way yes. to help the nursing home, help the nursing center. But at the same time, that's going to increase revenue in the pharmacy's pocket. If you continue to follow that patient, then yeah, I understand that you might not have as high of a revenue because you're base it on retail rates, but you know, all money is green, if you will. And so, you know, I'd rather have some of it than not than none of it. And I've seen some pharmacies be very successful with that discharge to home program. Well, I think you, you also have the staffing struggles that facilities have right now in terms of opportunity. How can what the pharmacy and the pharmacist is doing help the facility that's in a labor crisis? I've heard everything from, you know, pharmacists doing some adverse drug event assessments like the Ames tests to take that burden off the nursing staff. I've heard thinking states thinking about allowing pharmacy technicians to get trained on MedPass so they could support the nurse assistants and the nurses that are doing MedPass in facilities. So some very interesting things going on. So talk a little bit about vaccinations too. Yeah, well, and vaccinations for sure. Like vaccinations being one that was kicked to pharmacy during COVID that, that, you know, I sat here in the chief medical officer of the American Healthcare Association, which is the for-profit nursing home association said, we can't do the vaccines. The pharmacy has to do the vaccines. And recognizing that they're waving their hands up and saying, I can't do it. And pharmacy traditionally in long-term care had never done it before and has stepped in during the pandemic to do it. And now it's an opportunity. Yeah. Now, Again, based on how creative you are, you could be shipping vaccine for 10 patients that need uh, their booster or uh, a catch-up vaccine to the nursing home on the day the consultant arrives and the consultant can collect those vaccines, administer those vaccines and report them back to the pharmacy. That's interesting. So you get non-PBM revenue yeah, as well. Yeah, and that's a revenue stream, sure. Yeah. So it's interesting environment to be in right now for sure. So back on the, the vaccination, because you and I were talking about this a little earlier, where pharmacists, I understand that we reluctantly did it. And you have to have a pharmacist willing to go out and touch a patient and administer a shot. But, you know, it seems like we did it because some of them, some pharmacies did it because they had to. And now they're not continuing that practice. Sure. And, yeah. and so you you would like to see us as going in as long-term care pharmacies and, and taking over the, that ownership on a go-forward basis. I, I would like to see the flexibility remain in the process. I understand there's going to be pharmacists and pharmacies out there that are like, I want to go back to the old way. Yeah. And as long as their client base supports that and says, yeah, that's fine. Send it to us. We'll do it. I think that's great. But I, I think in my heart of hearts, I'm thinking pharmacies that, that revert to the old way are missing an opportunity. And the opportunity right now may be good, and not great, but I think the more pharmacy accepts the responsibility of the vaccination process, the more opportunity is, will come. Yeah, You've got a lot of older adult vaccines. You have the, the arguably a triple-demic in the fall with what looks to be an RSV vaccine, a COVID booster, and a flu vaccine with a new recommendation, the high-dose flu. I feel like there's enough there to have a business around that, like have a revenue stream around that. And I know so, we're going to do, I know we're gonna do a, a, a podcast sure. on immunization here in the future, but to close that point, that's also sending a message 
to to America, to the healthcare sure. of America, saying pharmacists can do more than dispense drugs. Absolutely. And here's a good example. We did that well during COVID. Trust us with more and more provider opportunities. I think it's a no-brainer for pharmacies and pharmacists to try to expand their reach. Right. And I think that's, I mean, again, summarizing the whole episode, that fear, the fear when COVID hit, the fear when Amazon bought PillPack, the fear when Omnicare started consolidating, the fear when CVS bought Omnicare, I mean, all that stuff. It's the intrepid souls of this industry that were always the innovators, always the ones focused on a passion, which was caring for people, older adults, that work their way through it and innovate. And it's more about identifying the landscape and saying, here's, here's what's going on. Here's what, you know, you have the opportunity to do. And then watching people find their way through it and create something that then might catch fire and spread across the country. And absolutely, Lynn is a perfect example. Her whole career is a perfect example of that. How to, how to fall in love with a, with a profession and keep working through it and becoming more and more successful and leading. Lynn, I don't know if you know, you were the 23rd, I know you know you were president, but you were the 23rd president of ASCP, the first uh, woman president of ASCP. And you've always represented somebody that maybe it wasn't always fear that was the motivator, but overcame that and delivered for long-term care. And, And we certainly appreciate you and appreciate you being on. Thank you. And I, I had great mentors and that's, that's another part. Look, I would advise people to look for their mentors to get through the fear, to get through the challenges of whatever the industry is going through. It'll always be going through something. Absolutely. Tom, any final thoughts? Yeah, I think with that, one way that I've been able to stay abreast and to overcome fear is, is, is knowledge. And one of the main ways I get knowledge is through ASCP. And ASCP has an unparalleled amount of education. And whether you're a student or all the way through your career, I appreciate you and and ASCP continue to bringing relevant, up-to-date information, whether it's through legislation of updates or through just, you know, training and and, and education. I think that's key. And and if you can stay empowered by, by keeping your knowledge, then I think that fear can subside because you see opportunities for brighter days. And a big part of the reason we're doing this podcast is to bring creative ideas and strategies to pharmacies beyond that four walls of a, of a nursing center, if you will. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things that, that makes ASCP unique is it is a smaller organization. It's, it's, we like to call ourselves kind of a boutique pharmacy industry. And then therefore the networking at the regional events at our annual meeting through things like our podcast, you can meet somebody like Lynn and you can talk to them about what they did in their career. And there's not sort of an overwhelming sea of people that you have to sift through to figure out what you're doing in an industry. You have a very small group of, again, those very high level, intimate leaders that, that, are also willing to share and talk about what they've done. So thank you, Lynn. Thank you for sharing with us. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Lynn. And thanks everybody. And we'll see you uh, on the next podcast.